Well, good afternoon to you. And here we are, Lent in lockdown. Lockdown three. And I don't know about you, but I think I've watched more TV in this lockdown than I have in years put together. And the other day, my brother and I were watching a documentary about Donald Trump in his re-election campaign. And it presented a picture of someone who, as the most powerful man on the planet, could not let go. Someone who would do anything to, to, to hold on to greatness. And he told journalists at one point in the show, winning is easy, losing is never easy, not for me. Power, prestige, position, it's, it's so intoxicating. And his dream was, well, it was driving on a road to Washington DC seeking the glory of re-election. But in our passage today in Matthew 20, we see something very different. We see a carpenter walking along a different road. This Lent, over these coming weeks, we're going to join Jesus on the road to Jerusalem, a road that leads not to the White House, but to a wooden cross. And to be a Christian is to join him on that road. It's the way of the pilgrim. And you know, I think the simple lesson for us all today is this. According to Jesus, greatness is about service. Greatness is about service. And you know, sometimes the simplest lessons are the hardest to learn, aren't they? You know, whenever I play tennis with my brother, he says the same thing. He says, Ed, move your feet, move your feet. He's been telling me that for years, but I still need to hear it. I still need to do it. And so again, this Lent, and especially so in lockdown, we need to hear the same lesson from Jesus. Greatness is service. Greatness is service. And so this lunchtime, I hope we'll see two things. Service is the name of the game for the Christian. And that's because, secondly, service is, well, it's the very nature of God. So that's where we're going in Matthew 20. So do keep it open with me. And you can imagine the scene as we dip in to verse 20. There she is, Mrs. Zebedee. She's coming humbly, respectfully to Jesus to ask a favour for her sons. Mums are often very good at that, aren't they? And Jesus graciously asks her, verse 21, what is it you want? It's a great question. I wonder what you and I would say if Christ sat us down this Thursday and he asked us, what is it that your heart longs for? I wonder what we'd say. You know, at work, it might be the recognition or or that pay rise. At home, maybe it's that just peace and quiet we want. At church, maybe that sense that someone's there looking out for us. I don't know what it is for us this lunchtime. But for Mrs. Zebedee, well, her priorities are very clear. It's her boys. And maybe she's been a mum who's always pushing her kids forward. You know, the kind, you know, the, the best cello lessons at school or, or the smartest fishing boat for the family business. Well, now she's set her sights on the top table for her boys. Verse 21. I want my boys one to sit at the right and one to the left in your kingdom. In other words, Jesus, look, I get you're the chief executive. I get that. But, but John, you know, he's great with numbers. Could he be the CFO? And, and James, he's quite a strategic sort of lad. Could he be the chief operations officer? <laughs> she's got ambitions for her boys. And Mrs. Zebedee, well, she's so right and yet she's so wrong. <laughs> she's right because, well, it is Jesus' kingdom. He is the king and one day he will bring in the fullness of his reign. She's right on that, but she's wrong 
about what kind of king he is and, and what life in his kingdom is all about. See, as a family, well, they want greatness, status, stability, security, the name to go out. Team Zebedee, they want to be influencers with a massive Twitter following. But she and her boys just don't get it. For a start, well, that aspiration of greatness, well, it just doesn't deliver. You know, just this week, I was on the phone to a friend who lives around the corner from me, but there we were on the phone. And he works in finance. And he said, I might do an MBA. I said, why, why do you want to do that? He said, because then I'll get more money. I said, you already earn tons of money. And he said, yeah, but I want more. I, I don't want to get to the end of his life, uh, the end of my life, he said. And people say of me, oh, he was just an accountant. He said, I, w- I want to be at the top of something. And I said to him on the phone, that story about Madonna, you might have heard, where someone once asked her, how much, how much do you want to be happy? And she answered, just a bit more. Just a bit more. And he, well, he didn't hang up, but it gave him something to think about, I think. But, but the point here is, drivenness, well, it just doesn't deliver. But more to the point from our passage, I think, from Jesus, is actually, it's not just that it doesn't deliver, it, it's not the way. It's not the way of Jesus. Look at verse 22. You do not know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they say, yeah, 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 of course we can. They don't get it. (laughs) They don't know what he's talking about. This is an allusion, I think, to, to Old Testament picture language of suffering, even judgment represented in that cup. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm the kind of king who drinks this kind of cup. Not a cup of silver, but a cup of suffering. And he's saying, look, if that's my path, well, it's going to have to be your path too. Lowliness, not loftiness, is the way. And so he goes on to say, look, in terms of who sits where at the top table, well, verse 23, I'll leave that with my father. It's just not my priority. Service is the name of the game. (laughs) But what's interesting is that this isn't just a Zebedee family problem, you know, as if they've got a sort of ego problem in their genetics or something. Look at verse 24. When the ten heard this, they became indignant. They're cheesed off that James and John are getting ahead of them in the queue. (laughs) The ego problem is with all of them. They're jockeying for position, scrabbling around the pecking order. Their pride means they don't want to be left further down the table left on the beating. They want to be up there where there's power, where there's prestige. I think that's the nature of pride, isn't it? I think it was C.S. Lewis who, in his mere Christianity, talked about pride in that way. He said, look, pride is, in its its essence, competitive. If you want to know how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me? or refuse to take notice of me, or shove their awe in, or patronise me, or show off. The point is that each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. Pride. It was there for these 12 disciples. And I think, if we're honest, it's there lurking in our hearts too. You know, that evening, Tom and I, my brother, were watching that Donald Trump documentary, we were there sitting on the sofa, appalled, shaking our head at the 
sort of deluded entitlement that this documentary suggested was going on. And we turned off the TV at 10 o'clock, and yet just moments later, Tom asked me, look, Ed, can you, can you start to walk a bit more quietly on the floor? You know, your slippers, they're, they're a bit noisy for the tenants below. And he wanted me to serve up pudding, apple pie, I think it was, that night. But it sounds terrible. Having just watched Trump, there I was, and inside I felt resentful. <laughs> well, that he took the bigger portion of the apple pie for a start. The fact that I bought the apple pie added something to that. And then I felt annoyed that I had to walk quietly. I wanted to walk how I wanted to walk. I wanted to go the way of self, not the way of service. <laughs> It's there in all of us. I wonder what it is for you. You know, that, that low-level sense of status anxiety, of, of deserving comfort, lurks so deeply. And lockdown, I think, has a habit of exposing those heart attitudes. So, so think of that work Zoom meeting. You know, when someone gets the credit for something that you did, and you can't unmute yourself quick enough to correct them. <laughs> or, or think of those work tasks that, that have landed on your desk, which you feel might be a bit beneath you. You know, the other day I had to go into the office where I work part-time to print a court bundle. And when I got there, my colleague Sharon showed me how to use the photocopier, and she had a grin on her face, and she said, you're not used to doing your own admin, are you? <laughs> and I thought to myself, no, I'm not. Not just because I'm not very good at it, no, I'm hopeless at it, but because I sort of thought, well, no, I, I shouldn't be, it's beneath me. <laughs> or at home, you know, that unspoken keeping a tally of, of who's done what chores. Or at church, we might not be meeting in person, but we begrudge the fact that no one in our life group's been in touch for a while. You know, they've not served me. And into that mindset, into that heart attitude comes, well, comes verse 25, have a look at it. He has a team talk. Jesus says, look, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That is, the culture around you is all about this status and power and pecking order. But what does he say to that? Verse 26, not so with you. He couldn't be more emphatic. Don't be like that. That is not the way of the kingdom. You've got to go against the grain, the grain out there and the grain in here. What does he say? Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Service is the name of the game. And that's true even in the world of COVID. We're still called to go the way of Christ. And I know amid the pandemic, There'll be different pressures and challenges and capacities for all of us watching this this lunchtime. And I don't want to be insensitive to those. But I know as I look at myself how easy it's become to be, well, to become inward looking. You know, as the horizons of my world have shrunk to my living room, well, so too my concern to serve other people has cooled down. But the way of Jesus is, well, the way all the time. He's Lord even in lockdown. And so the question for us is this. What does it mean for us to have, to have a servant posture at this time? You know, there's heroes that we celebrate in England at the moment, whether NHS workers or Captain Sir Tom. 
And that's great. Uh, But for the rest of us, day to day, I wonder what things could look like if we remember that service is the name of the game. Not, not, Not that we're to be doormats, but to be servants. So you'll be very creative, I'm sure, but uh, in my office, my boss has now set up regular coffee Zoom meetings. And on the email, she said, there's no agenda. (laughs) She just wants people to look out for each other. It might be we can give each other a bit more slack or, or even pick up the slack for our colleagues at work. You know, sending that little encouraging email. I got one from a colleague the other day just saying thank you. And, and that little email, you know, it, it really blessed me. Or at home or with neighbours. It might mean we need to just proactively, deliberately check out, um, check in on them. I think of a friend of mine who's working long hours from home and his wife's doing an amazing job homeschooling their three kids. And in the first lockdown a year ago now, he was head down, working hard in the attic with his laptop. But sooner or later, his wife said to me, look, can you, can you just check up on me and have a, have a cup of tea and see how I'm doing? And now lockdown three's come along and he's doing such a great job in, in looking out for the family in a way he, he perhaps dropped the ball a bit before. So work, home. But think about church too. You know, it's wonderful that church numbers in many ways have gone up in lockdown, tuning online. But this is the thing. It's so easy to tune in whenever I want, at whatever church I want online, with no relational engagement with anyone whatsoever. But Christ calls us not to be consumers on the sideline, but to be servants in the family committed to one another. And we can still do that in all sorts of ways. Might be coming to that Zoom prayer meeting, phoning up that acquaintance. It might be we've got more disposable cash and we can have a think about our giving again. Or now the snow's melted at last, we might be able to go out for a walk with someone and see how they're doing. All sorts of ways in which we can remember that greatness is about service. That's the first thing then, that service is the name of the game. What could that look like for you and me as we start this Lent? But here's the question, secondly, and very briefly, why is that? Why is service the name of the game? (laughs) Well, what we see in our passage is that it's the very nature of God. Service is the very nature of God himself. We see here one who... Well, with the Father, he's enjoyed all the power and prestige of heaven, not for four years like a president, but for all eternity. And what does he do with such greatness? Remember verse 18? We're going up to Jerusalem. Here's one who doesn't want to go higher and higher. He couldn't get any higher. No, quite the opposite. He wants to go lower and lower. See that in verse 18 at the start of our passage. He'll be delivered over, condemned, handed over, mocked, flogged, crucified. Each of those verbs, it's like a, a, some steps going lower and lower and lower. You know, in the first century Roman Empire, you couldn't get any lower, more degraded than being strung up on a cross. One Roman writer said of crucifixion, the very word is harsh on our ears, let alone seeing it. You know, you and I tend to run away from suffering or insignificance. But Jesus Christ, 
God in the flesh, he didn't run from it. He walked towards it. He says, look, I'm a king who who wears a crown, not of gold, but of thorns. If you like, his his tube stop isn't the smartness of Regent's Park. No, it's the shame of King's Cross. He's a king on, on a cross. But look how he goes on in verse 27. He fleshes it out for us. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That is, when the Son of Man arrives on the stage of history, he does so not barking orders, lounging in a limousine, or throwing his weight around. He doesn't come to serve his own ego, so that it gets bigger and bigger. No, he comes to serve our need. He comes to serve our need. And it's the very deepest need of all that he comes to minister to. Did you notice that? I've come to give, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. There on the cross, as we head towards it this Easter, what happens? Well, he drinks the cup of his father's judgment against all our pride and self-serving. In love, he, he pays the price, clears our debt, sets us free. He serves us. The, the most undignified and repulsive penalty that ancient Rome could devise, he embraced it. And you know, it doesn't look like greatness. It looks like weakness. Remember Trump's quote, I, I can do winning, it's, it's losing, I can't do, I hate it. Well, it looks like Jesus losing here. But actually, in his self-giving, he's winning. <laughs> He's winning you and me back to himself, back to his kingdom at such cost to himself. So you see there, don't you, at the heart of reality is a God whose greatness is seen in his service. It's the beauty and the grace of Jesus' service to us. And that alone that has got the power to dislodge our sense of entitlement and dilute our status anxiety. And you know, I think it's as, well, it's the degree to which we're humbled and grateful for what the Son of Man did for us. Well, that will be the degree to which, in the power of the Spirit, we ourselves, in response, will pour out ourselves in service to others. This is the path. This is the way that we're called to follow. That's the example he set before us. <laughs> what a high calling. Just as, just as the Son of Man did not come. That's the example. But as we draw to a close, we've got to remember, it's not just an example. If we treat him only as an example, well, it will, it will weigh us down. It will wear us down. No, he's not just an example. He's the, he's the one who enables us to live like this. The one who who sets the path for us to follow, he's the one who gives us the power to follow him down that road. We couldn't do it without that power. You know, a couple of years ago, I was in Kent, 
you know, below London, if you've not heard of Kent. Kent, there it is, in the home counties, and a friend lent me his bike, his electric mountain bike, for me to um, uh, sort of navigate some of the Pilgrim's Way, that ancient route out to Canterbury on this bike. And it started well. Um, I was going downhill. I think that's why it started well. But soon enough, well, the hills came. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, no. I was pressing the button and the battery wouldn't work. And I'd forgotten to learn <laughs> how to activate the pa- battery pack. And so there I was with this doubly heavy mountain bike trying to go up this pilgrim's way. <sighs> what a mistake that was. <laughs> I had the power but I didn't know how to access it. I had the path, but I didn't have the power for it. And eventually I figured it out. I needed to keep my finger on a particular button. And you know, that transformed the rest of the, ri- the, rest of the wi- ride um, of the Pilgrim's Way. <laughs> it's a silly example, but so too with us. You know, you and I, we're travelling along this path, this, this Pilgrim's Way, the Christian life, where the name of the game, the path, the greatness is about service we've seen. But the power, the motive, the battery pack for that isn't in ourselves. (laughs) No, it's by being connected up to Jesus himself. That's where the power comes from. We need to remember day after day, Lord, you're the ransom. You paid yourself, you paid the ransom for me. Ah, Thank you. Oh, please help me to give up my life in service to you. That's the dynamic. We receive his service of us. And then we go out to serve him and the world in response. So why not this Lent? Why not this week? And then maybe for the rest of Lent. Can I dare you? I'll do the same. Each morning as we wake up, we bring this verse to mind, verse 28, and we pray very simply, Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to serve me. Please help me to remember that that you paid the ransom for me. But secondly, Lord, please help me to be one who wants to serve today anyone and everyone because you've served me. Thank you and please, you served me, help me to serve others. It's a simple thing, but a hard lesson that seems to take a lifetime to learn. But that's what Lent's for. We can learn it together as we walk along this road to Jerusalem. Shall I say a prayer and we'll wrap up today's service. Oh, Father, we thank you that you and your son in the power of the spirit came to serve, not to be served, but to serve in the most shameful way on a cross. And we long, Father, to be humble and grateful before that truth, but not to stop there. We long to go on to then want to serve others with the posture of a servant. Give us opportunities to do that day by day. This week and this Lent, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.